Sunol Citizens Advisory Council, Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. Council Member Conant? Present. Council Member Harrison? Present. Council Member Kent Romo? Present. Council Member DeGrain? Present. All Council Members are present? Thank you. Okay. So we have one public comment. Does anybody else have anything they want to make any public comments? No need to fill out a card. This is from Ken Horton. So please come on up to the podium. And I got a blank one, so I maybe that was two that were attached. Oh, I'm a, it could have been. Okay. Didn't mean to. Uh, yes, I'd like to have uh, an inquiry to try and get some speed bumps on dual care, particularly around maybe 150 to 240. Are numbers? Yes. And there's a couple of lights there that we can put them under, street lights, and that's why the, the address range. It is where coming out of the canyon, it straightens out, and all of a sudden everybody's, I think the average is about 40. Um, walking the street is perilous. Some people are very slight, and at least they'll move over a little bit. Others, right on the white line, no sidewalks, obviously. And not many places to scoot over sometimes. I'd like to see these, and obviously, as you guys all know, speed limit is 25, 40s average. Some people are doing 50, 55. But I usually know when it's somebody from out of town going through, because they're doing about 15 or 20. <laughs> but anyway, I want to throw that out, and I'd like direction to try and see what I need to do to follow up on this. Yes, ma'am, and a pretty coat. Oh, I thank you. Remind me your name. Ken Horton. Did we receive an email from Advisor no. Howard's office? Okay. We did receive an email from someone in the small community, I'm not recalling name, I believe on Monday, about speeding on Kilcare. And we have contacted Public Works to say, resolve this, get this addressed, what's okay. going to be done. Um, I will give you my business card. I should have an update, I would say Monday. Beautiful. And then uh, we can take it from there. And then some of the comparisons, if you look at Foothill, so what they've done there, and it may not make a difference to some people because it's just, it's the first time they can just put their pedal to the metal and fly through and they're making up time. Um, me, I'm so dumb, I even slow down for the doggone railroad tracks there for some people I watch them fly over 35. Yes. 
Ken, what time of day is that? What time of day happen? is it? Yeah, what time of day? All, all times. All times? Okay. Yes, and I, and I know you don't have enough trolling. Yeah, or I we'll, ask we'll, you to, we'll, we'll, Beautiful. I, I and as far ask. as I know, there aren't actually sufficient speed limit signs. Oh, it doesn't matter. So people who don't live in the area or whatever, who are kind of trying to use this. I think there's one coming in. Well, I don't know if more would help or not. Right. I mean, it's a, a cheap fix or deterrent or acknowledgement. It's, like, it's at least say, hey, you were breaking the law and now there's recourse versus, well, I didn't know there was nothing posted. First, make sure people know what the problem is. Then get them in trouble if they break the rules. Are there any other comments? And we'll go back to the regular calendar. Uh, I think there were agendas on the table, so I'm following along the agenda. Um, there were reports and updates from the Sheriff's Office. Oh, of course. Good evening, everyone. Sergeant Mark returning to the Sheriff's Office. Our last meeting was November. So since November, we've had 79 calls for service in this small area. The only two that were really of note were the porta potties that got blown up at the railroad. Unfortunately, there's no leads on those because hours of darkness and the cameras that I was able to locate didn't really have any description of the car. Um, my deputies have conducted about 21 proactive stops, which is kind of down, but we've been spending a little time in East County, so I'm trying to shoot them back over here. Uh, my parking tech towed four illegally parked vehicles out of the area, and the deputies have conducted 195 business and patrol checks, so that's just being in that area for you guys and making a presence and making sure things are okay. Anybody have questions for me? Questions? Um, kill care and foothill stop sign. Uh, I almost got hammered coming down here tonight. Um, they, it, it's, it's like a suggestion. Are they going? They're coming down foothill, foothill coming to come out of kill care, and then they're going down, and then they're going down to okay. eighty four. A little different direction for this. To usually, people are heading. Right. It just happens right now. I and, and they saw me. I had a white car. My lights were on, and it didn't matter. And they just uh, so shift change for us is at 6 p.m. So I'll, I'll try to get guys out here between 5 and 7. It's going to be a little difficult though. Um, we'll see if I can be. And the morning obviously is free for all. Continues to be a free for all. I know everywhere. Yeah. Would it be possible to put a, uh, a sign that even says "stop sign ahead" so that? The people that drive um, by there every day? I cannot away. answer that question. That is a public works question. Yeah, we'll have a traffic engineer look at that. Connect with me. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last night, some pretty good comments on uh, the, the dummy just out there on the snow about Pleasanton. And that's not good, man. Have they made up for lost time, I think? <laughs> yes, they have. Um, and public works is behind. Uh, so, Driving around East County, and I know you guys are on kind of the west side of my jurisdiction, but for me, I go all the way to the San Joaquin County line. So East County, when we paid a lot of attention to Pleasant Snow and got it to slow down, almost stop, they went 
just hardcore in East County, and almost every road out there has piles and piles of garbage and stuff on it. Um, there's a little bit of cleanup that Public Works has been able to do. I, I, can, I can't even figure out what time of day or night that they're doing it. The best suggestion I can make is in your travels, if you see it, call us immediately. Um, if we can safely get a photograph of a license plate vehicle, even a driver, don't get here by the time they leave, we can work it backwards from there. In your experience, because you guys mentioned that you have been lucky to catch some people in the act and different things like that, is it only your residents or the people from out of the area? Or both? Um, so, one of the, it's it's a mixture. Um, a lot of the, the dumps that we're getting on Pleasant Snow Road and even in, in East County, they're so large that it's coming out of a commercial. Um, so that makes it a misdemeanor versus just an infraction. You were to drive out of your truck and throw stuff out the back, that's an infraction. Commercial dumps are misdemeanor. If we can articulate any kind of hazmat it makes it a felony. What a lot of them are doing, they're coming from construction sites, San Jose, Milpitas area, and they don't want to pay the dump because they're coming back into Alameda County. And because it's from, it's soils, materials and stuff from out of county, they're supposed to check it for foreign whatever, make sure there's no hazmat in it before it gets deposited in any landfills or areas out here that So they don't want to pay for that, which is why they're doing awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was just in our uh, executive officer's office. Tuesday? Yeah. Tuesday morning. Um, they're on his board to be installed, like not the cameras physically, but like it's his list of things that need to be accomplished. It's up there. I don't have a time frame on this guy. I know that uh, Flock came out here and surveyed the area for where I said where I think they needed to be, and they kind of get the final say based on how they work because they use solar and almost their shelter power. So they, sh I believe, identified locations that are suitable. It's just whenever they get done. These are cameras to catch illegal dumping activity. No, they're license plate rear cameras. Um, to catch so, the license plates of. Yeah. So the the technology now is it it pretty much takes a picture of every vehicle. Um, if it if they have license plates on them, it captures that they have good night vision for license plates, things like that. But even off of vehicle descriptions, we can do a lot of things with an investigation. So just having, like you can do a search for a white car, white four-door sedan, and it'll spit out a list of tens of thousands of cars that drove through that camera area that match that. So it's not per se about catching someone in the act of something, it's if something happens to them yes. be able to go back and trace it's, it's, it's an investigative blueprint of a car. They do have the ability of if like a stolen car drives by, it'll trip off the Sure. But it, it's more of an investigative tool to go back and see what's come through the area in this time frame so we can narrow down what we're looking for and hopefully get a playoff. You had a, you had a question over there. With those cameras, were you still looking at one foothill and hill pair and um, one at the four corners? Because that might catch some people coming through. So I I'm trying to remember where the flocks that they wanted to put them. Because uh, I was looking more at near the train depot just yeah. because it would cover that whole intersection. 
they said based on the path of the sun and the solar that's needed to run the camera, they wanted to push it a little farther down Main Street. Um, so I gotta, I, I'll make a note. I'll go back and look and see where they exactly said it was and if that's gonna be suitable or if it's just a waste. The other one I believe is gonna be somewhere in the area of the Maine and Niles. Okay. Maine and Niles. Thank you.
So uh, Jeff Nichols is not here, so you are here replacing him? I am. Stepping with him? I am. Good evening. Uh, Stephen Blythe, Assistant Chief, Cal Fire. So just a little under the weather tonight, so uh, here I am. Come at you guys one time. Stephen Blythe. Uh, it's been a while, but I've been here before. So just a little update for Cal Fire. Um, currently we're in winter preparedness staffing, so we're down to five engines. Um, our Alamo helicopter is still staffed 24 hours a day, or sorry, during daytime. We're working on the night hour time. And then one uh, bulldozer staffed daily. So three of those engines are fuel reduction engines. Uh, Sonola is one of those. So that engine, our Type 3, is staffed. Uh, we currently have projects at San Juan County Park in Saratoga, and we just started today at Joaquin Miller Park with Alameda County Crew Rate. So uh, Monday the 29th will be the official opening where we'll start sending some more folks out. COVID, but um, put a little, more, little bit more boots on the ground, but we're looking at three days a week for the engines um, for that. I got uh, asked a question here earlier today that was uh, passed on to me. So in summary, uh, some residents have talked about driving up Pleasanton Ridge Park to escape the abandoned Let me, let me preface that, that's my question. Mm -hmm. um, I was watching a show on PBS about high-rise facilities, and they were talking about the problems of high-rise buildings in urban areas is that there's no overall communication in the whole building, that when people are told to evacuate, it's usually too late. And then when they try to evacuate, they're going down the stairs the same way as the fire department is trying to come up the same stairs. And so that's an incompatible pathway. And, and when I heard all of this about the high-rise building, it's, it's just like Kilcare Road on its side. You know, it's just like a high-rise building. The same situations exist. And I know we've been working on a notification. And people have, in the past, when we're talking about evacuation, some people said, I'll just take my family back up to the end of Kilcare Road. And then other firefighter professionals have said, that's not a good idea because the road conditions are not known, and there'd be a lot of smoke, and we would nobody know to rescue the people. But uh, Rosemary, who's been working on fire protection for Sonol, and I talked about it, thought, well, why can't the fire trucks work with East Bay Regional Park? go up the fire roads in East Bay Regional Park and then come down Kilcare Road. So everybody's going in the same direction. The firefighters are going downhill and the evacuees are going downhill. And so I posed that question to um, Jeff Nichols and, and I know you're here, so if you right. have an answer, <laughs> it would be great. If you're not, we can wait until you check. You know, we, we talked about this, right? And obviously, one thing I don't want to send you guys up is out into the middle of the wilderness during emergency incident. So I second your thing on that with it. Not a good idea. Uh, with reasoning on that, we, in the event of evacuation, and, you know, I was here for the evacuation planning, we had the meetings, and, you know, the ready, set, go, and the early notification yeah. process, right, working with law enforcement to uh, to push that drive and get that out to you guys is, is something that happens. And, you know, be ready, right? So in the event that, do you need to be told to go? Maybe, maybe not. But use that judgment and go for yourself if you need to go. Um, we will not detour our routes because we are based on we're traveling to the engine or to the incident. So we can't our we're not going to detour our routes to you know that would require a lot of work on us to make sure the roads are still accessible. Um, are there gates? Are there things you know along those lines? And then of course the known famous firebirds uphill, right? So if I'm coming up from the top, I'm going to put my personnel possibly in danger with fire coming below us. So and of course we want to get to the incident as quickly as possible, not deter anything we have going on. So 
the question was, right, why, why not work with these state parks to allow firefighters to travel? In theory, it sounds like a great idea. Um, life, property, environment, that's our focus, right? So we're gonna go to where the incident is, and if we deem that the evacuations are necessary, we're gonna make our recommendations. We'll be working hand-in-hand -hand with uh, the Sheriff's Department, and they'll be enforcing that, but it allows us to have accountability of you guys. You know, we have address ranges, right? We have locations. If you're going out in the middle of nowhere, we've lost that accountability. Um, and then, Access to the fire location is kind of what I wrote, so that's where we're headed in. Does that answer a little bit of your question? I can't it look at it. Sounds unrealistic to me. Okay. To you, but, but I understand what you're thinking of. You guys are trying to go up, everybody else trying to get down, and then the road's behind you. Know what's what's the, the solution to that? Early notification and leave leave early if you can. I mean, if you can mitigate the areas, right? Don't block feed their driveways, access routes. But we're going to work with sheriff's department. And if we can get notifications out there and they're saying to evacuate, um, then you know, he took their advice and, and go. Does the East Bay Regional Parks District have their own fire department? They have crews. They, they do have uh, personnel that are staffed responding to fire engines, water tenders. So they, are, they do have uh, personnel that respond to incidents within their park jurisdictions. We work hand in hand with them. Questions? I can add if you want. If not, we'll let it go. Do you have anything add substantive to it, or, or? Absolutely. It would take 10, 20 times longer to get to a particular address by trying to take those roads. Every spring, those those back roads are washed out. They're different every time. Yeah. And they'd have to be vetted out before anybody could go around that way. Well, one thing that I'll say, so that's great if, if the engine from Sonol is in quarters 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. However, we're a statewide agency, right? So we may send resources out. There may be an engine coming up from Riverside and sitting up there covering. They're not going to be familiar with the local area. They're not going to have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that's why we use common landmarks, common routes of travel, and we go to where we go. Okay. Thank, Thank you for your time. Go on down to um, progress reports as necessary. Uh, Firelight program, I don't have any of the roads here. It's not here. The tree advisory work group, I see Jim. Do you want to give your report from there?
you look at what we've been talking about, and that those are all the components that are in the, the progress report, and <clears throat> try to get to the point where we can do something concrete that people can see, and uh, you know, we actually are, something's coming out of uh, out of this besides just talking about it. So. <clears throat> In this process, trying to move it along, <coughs> it's becoming very frustrating in terms of dealing with uh, the uh, <coughs> governmental agencies that really have final say in terms of whether we can, can do anything. Even if we, we have an idea and we want to do something, uh, now <coughs> we're running into the problem of <coughs> even to the point where they they really won't even talk to us. Fish and Wildlife, for example, has control over everything we're talking about. Uh, in the sense that they have to approve everything that we're doing because we're the, the, the project is basically downtown Snow, but really the, the park and Sinbad Creek. Well, the park and Sinbad Creek, uh, from their point of view, everything, every tree that has to, if we want to plant a tree, or if Caltrans wants to plant a tree, they finally say that they would like to plant 20 trees for us. That's you know a little chunk of the, what Connie calculated they owe us 4,000 uh, in uh, the, the Sonola area. Uh, they start their original position was the, there's no place to plant a tree in the trees in Sonola. Well now at least they're saying that, that they found 20 places where they could plant 20 trees uh, and. Uh, now, when I say, well, where, 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 can, where can we start talking about specifically what kind of trees and where we're going to plant them? We gave them you know, a, a schematic uh, showing at least 200 locations uh, in the park area where they could plant trees. Uh, and basically, the response, and this is after months of continual hounding, is that, uh, well, they are having the Resource Conservation District look at determining where the locations would be. So shouldn't they talk to us? Uh, it, it's, it's sort of our project, it's, it's our park. If they're going to plant 20 trees, that's great, but what kind of trees and where? Well, uh, they don't know. Uh, we have to talk to uh, the, the Resource Conservation District. And yet the Resource Cons Conservation District uh, there's no one to talk to. And then we, uh, Caltrans basically has said that they can't do anything without the approval of Bay Area Water, Water Quality Control Board and uh, Fish and Wildlife. And so in dealing with them, the head person for permits in Fish and Wildlife says he's too busy to talk to us. Uh, he's, he's got his backlog. And so we, we can't get to the point where now we actually, I think, do have some potential things that we could, we could start working on. For example, I, we have the area behind the post office, which is sort of added to the park, whether we like it or not, but it's right in the middle of downtown. It was the big, biggest fire hazard in the area until uh, a little over a year ago when uh, PLA had to take $75,000 to uh, prune and clean up those eucalyptus trees behind the post office, which they did, 
uh, <coughs> even though it's Alameda County property, uh, they pulled the lease on it. So <coughs> we have that new area that we need to look at. Uh, I've been able to determine that the Union Pacific Railroad has a community uh, grant program that we could apply for. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking into that and to try to, to at least get, get Sanol approved as one of their communities that is uh, appropriate for, for this kind of thing. And since their criteria matches what we would be trying to do almost exactly, it seems like a good, a good source of, of uh, some, some funding. The first thing we need to do if we're going to do anything with that area is to provide security. It's, it's uh, bordered with the, the Union Pacific Railroad tracks and Sinbad Creek. And it's a nice little piece with a lot of possibilities, but it's totally unsafe in terms of opening up for public use. So we need fencing. Well, the Union Pacific could do that, could provide some of that. There's some other small funding sources that uh, you are know, looking into that could provide you know, those kinds of things so we could get started. Uh, Caltrans finally came back and said that uh, they're waiting for Fish and Wildlife, and Fish and Wildlife says, well, uh, we uh, don't know whether you should plant eucalyptus trees, or not eucalyptus, sycamore trees. We originally sort of had this vision of a sycamore grove. Well, now they're saying, well, sycamore trees are really not good trees, uh, and uh, because they're not pure. They're not pure sycamore. They've been hybridized. And uh, therefore, uh, we shouldn't be thinking about planting sycamore trees. Uh, all, all just, this is just a recent out of the clear blue sky, even though we've been trying to talk to them for, for well, over a year. And so now we're told that, uh, no, sycamore trees are, are not, not good. And I said, well, what, what can we plant? Well, you know, we, we, we don't know. So it's extremely, extremely frustrating because, you know, we, we really do need to become concrete and do something, but uh, it, it's very difficult to do. The other big thing which <coughs> I've discovered recently is that East Bay Regional Parks, you know, has a tremendous grant program. And it's for not just things in East Bay Regional Park Park's property, but you know, in their region, which is really Alameda County and uh, Contra Costa County. And so neighboring cities, which I don't know if they, they may have some pieces of East Bay Regional Park, like Fremont has received several million dollars for park type improvements over the, la the last few years. Hayward is uh, close to seven or eight million dollars. Uh, Unincorporated Alameda County is another one of the areas. Uh, they've received one project for $100,000 in the, the history of the program, which is, it's not a new program, it's a, an old program, and they have actually hundreds of millions of dollars that they have spent and are available to spend. So we, we need to you know, start pursuing these, but we, we, if we want to pursue some of the opportunities, we need to, to have approval. We have to be able to say that we have, this is what we'd like to do, and the governing authorities, uh, which are really primarily 
uh, fish and game, and the water quality control, you know, have, have been worked with us. But when we go to them, they say, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the person, I'm the permit person, but uh, I'm, I'm busy. I, 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 can't, I can't come out and talk to you. I can't uh, come out and see. We've been trying now for really the two years to get somebody to come out and actually look at what we're talking about. Caltrans did, and, but that was about a year and a half ago. And finally, they say they're going to, you know, they're plant 20 trees, but they're waiting until the Resource Conservation District determines where those trees should go. And we don't know what kind of trees would be, be approved. So it is sort of, you know, frustrating. Uh, uh, you can probably tell. Uh, and as a result, you know, we really, in a sense, we're not really going anyplace. Uh, you know, we, we, we have you know, these 11, 12 components. And, you know, they're not all tree things. You know, some of them have to do with pollinators and, you know, things like that. But we have people who are interested in uh, actually working on these things if we can get some, uh, get to a point where we can get going. So I guess my big question is, uh, what kind of assistance can we get to try to break through this barrier to, be able to talk to people who are ultimately making the decisions of what we can and can't do. And, uh, for example, East Bay Regional Park, uh, a, a, an application for a grant from East Bay Regional Park, uh, has to be submitted by the, uh, I forget the exact terminology, but it's the agency who's in charge of that area. Well, normally it's a city. 90, over 90% of it, it's a city. But in this case, if there is no city, it's Alameda County. And so uh, the, the, the next thing I was going to do is start you know, hounding Alameda County to say, okay, who in Alameda County uh, you know, has a relationship with East Bay Regional Parks, and who, who can we work through so that they can represent the unincorporated area which is designated, uh, in fact, as far as I can read your material, it's designated as an underfunded area. Because they've only had one application uh, in several years from, from the unincorporated area. And so uh, they, they, they have sort of a formula that how much money that each area should get based on population. But we wouldn't get a whole lot, but we'd get some. Uh, now, it may be that There'll be a whole bunch of applications oh, from the unincorporated area, but I doubt that. We've uh, been one in several years. So it's, it's a, uh, a real opportunity. So it's taken more, probably more time than, uh, than I should, uh, but I, I think these, these issues are the most important issues, besides the little nitty-gritty of, uh, you, know, should, uh, you know, should we have you know, a second or a third bridge uh, which I think everybody you know, sort of agrees. We need to talk all that through. We need to uh, do things like you know, talk through, especially with the downtown revitalization you know, people, uh, more specifically in terms of opening up the view shed from the park and, into downtown and, and vice versa and so on. Uh, so there's a lot of things we can do, but at some point we have to start doing something concrete. And uh, you know, we've got things which are ready to go, 
the fish observation platforms, I think, are a good example. Uh, you know, we now we have uh, salmon and steelhead that have access to, to Sinbad Creek. They may be out there right now. They could be. There's nothing, no barrier anymore. They're they're open you know, to, to come up here. Uh, Alameda Creek Alliance is going to start a monitoring program, which uh, some of you might be so interested. So I think you're getting beyond the tree work group now. Why don't we set up some other uh, meeting we can focus on all of these issues? Yeah, that would be, be great. Okay. And if there's any specific question, I'd be glad to. One question. So are you looking to create a, like, a task force to work with you on these issues of trying to get in touch with or find the right people? Or are you okay doing that by yourself? Well, I'm, I would say he's looking for the, the paid professionals who have the pull okay. to say, right. you're, you're responsible. It's my boss. I would love Supervisor Hubbard, Connie, you and I to meet. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Good. That would be a, a good start. And we can still try to keep pressure on on Caltrans, and uh, uh, when I get a, a specific contact for the Resource Conservation District, we can, you know, start bugging them. Uh, I don't mind, you know, following through and trying to uh, get some action, uh, but uh, I'm not very, haven't been very successful in doing that. Okay, pushing. Next on the agenda is the downtown revitalization work group. You saw a scoring. We were trying to get, make sure that she had the, the visuals for that. It looks like she does. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just make this quick. I think you know everybody knows that there's a, a downtown revitalization committee, and there's several different projects that are picked out and identified as things that could be done to, to kind of breathe some life into downtown Sonoma and the different things. And, Happy to announce there are two projects that we have RFPs active for right now. One is the gateway signage, um, and that is uh, uh, out, and that is due. Uh, it was out, but then we uh, repackaged it and changed some things to make it more clear as to where the, where the actual signage is going to go. Uh, and that's out right now, and that's uh, right there. I've got it up there. It's kind of, kind of small, but you can see the, kind of what that looks like. And you can kind of scroll through that. We've got some photos, got some specific specs of what we're looking for. There's kind of like an artist's conceptual deal of what it looks like. Uh, and we have had, had some, and there's some examples of some other uh, um, towns that kind of have the same thing, uh, what that looks like. So that was uh, resent as of 1.17, and they are due uh, on January 31st, and what, from, from, uh, uh, from, from all the vendors we sent them out to. So the second time around we've done this, the first time we, we sent it out, but we were kind of had a list of, uh, of Alameda uh, County uh, businesses that are located in Alameda County. And uh, we didn't get a huge amount of responses, or a lot of emails were no longer valid or anything like that. So we did get permission that we could go outside of Alameda County. So I went through and found a list of 12, 10 to 12 vendors through all throughout the Bay Area who did things like this. Uh, and then we sent it out to all of them. So that's the first one, um, and that's due 131. The other one is the wayfinding signs, um, and uh, we have had some interest in that. Um, that's the RFP that went out there, and again, I know it's small to see. Um, but you can go through, uh, and it's kind of they're very similar. That went out actually on 12-11. We gave it a little bit longer amount of time um, because of the holidays and that sort of thing. So 
Um, that's due actually this Friday, the day after tomorrow is when those are due. Um, kind of exciting thing here for those that are asking about it. We did get um, one of the uh, we did get a did, did get a, a bite on the line, uh, and we have some uh, some examples here. That's the RFP there. If you could go to the very last attachment there, please. Um, Tissa. This. The very last one that you had oh, of, okay. the, of the three. Uh, this is what we got from a, a, a bid. I'm sorry, the, the third attachment, the separate attachment. Oh, okay. There would have been three that I'd sent you there. Um, and we had asked, you know, we were interested in working with them, not really, you know, you know, you know, uh, saying what we want, give them some artistic interpretation, let them kind of give us an idea uh, of kind of what some ideas they had. So we did get a lot back from Golden Gate Sign Company right there. You can see their, their interpretation of the stuff we sent them, and we've got that uh, uh, in there, and, and uh, they sent their bid through. So looking good. That particular idea, we don't know. It, it, it does have a, a, a printed vinyl photo of, of the water temple on it, and maybe not what we were thinking. Maybe it was. I don't know. But they said if you don't want that printed sign on there, kind of a printed photograph sticker, take that off, and you could just die cut it and have kind of the outline of the, of the water temple. Kind of more, I think, lines of what we're thinking of, but it's cool to have uh, people be engaging with us and sending their ideas and that sort of thing. Um, so we do have that. Those are all due uh, the day after tomorrow again. Um, probably it's, it all sounds like, you know, sunshine and puppy kisses there. But the downside is we have not heard from a lot of people. Um, and the first time we didn't hear, and I reached out, I spoke personally on the phone to, um, I got all the companies here that we reached out to. Very excited, very good. Thank you for the opportunity. What's your email? Oh, yeah, but we're, we're so happy to do this. And haven't seen anything yet. So in my line of work, I know that I'm, you know, public bids and that thing, a lot of folks wait to the very last minute to, to turn it in. You don't want a lot of lead time, so I'm hoping that's the case. But I will tomorrow um, call all these people again and remind them and ask them if they are um, going to be submitting the bids just to be sure that we're still on the radar. Um, we got well, just kind of cold calling a lot of these people, very excited. We got some folks who did a lot of the signage and wayfinding just by happenstance for like Half Moon Bay. You know, their signage and their wayfinding signs. Some of these folks on here have done some of these things so up in Napa, some of the um, smaller towns that kind of all throughout the Napa Valley. So we're kind of excited to copy a lot of these people. But um, anyway, we did get a hit. Um, we've got hopefully got more coming. Um, and that's where we're at with two of the projects, two active RFPs, and uh, more to come on that uh, on next month. So hopefully we have some actually some, some, some bids to show you guys. And maybe we would even talk about uh, once the bids are over, inviting some of the folks who bid to come here before um, for you all. And, put their presentation up on the screen and show you kind of their ideas and their artistic impressions of uh, some of the great things that um, we've done. It's all inspired by the artwork of um, our, our, our local legend Tom over there. These are kind of all his kind of artistic drawings. It was really cool seeing some of these uh, pieces come to life. So that's all I got for you guys this month. Yes, ma'am. So same situation where within Alameda County, there weren't a lot of hits, so you had to go outside to the Greater Bay Area. Yeah. Yep. And there's a list that you can best maintain yep. when we went, and uh, I think we're probably pretty good at adding names to that. We're probably not too good at removing names off of that once people probably, go to business. Probably, yeah. I found Especially people on COVID. there. Well, I, I went and kind of did some research and found people that were on that list, and I thought, well, you know, why can't, why is it, where are they at now? And that's that's three jobs ago. Yeah. Um, that company's been closed for yeah. five years. So, mm -hmm. um, but uh, because it's unincorporated, we were able to have the the, the, the uh, flexibility, if you will, to to reach out to other areas and and uh, find out um, about other people, so yeah. So will there be one wayfinding sign and two? I, I think we're going to have multiple wayfinding signs to plan kind of throughout the town, pointing to 680, pointing to 84, pointing yeah. to you know, kind of landmarks, and that's our little brown church, just things yeah. like that. And then right back now, the plan is one gateway sign okay. um, over here in 84, on um, the place that uh, uh, 
Sergeant Petrini and the CHP have promised to help us with, with the traffic issue yep. there. Okay. That, 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 that arch there, that's where the, the, the gateway plane is. And that's why we had to repackage and send it back out. Because I think the first go around, it was kind of unclear, a little bit confusing as we had so yeah. much going on. Makes sense. Kind of want to make, clear it up and, and clean up the language a little bit. But one gateway sign, and I think that this is proposals for, oh my gosh, four to six, I think, okay. wayfinding signs all throughout different places, kind of in Sonol. Great. People are walking to and doing stuff. So. Would the would they include stuff like Ellison Vineyards, like you know? Well, that's, I, that, I find we're, we're all, that's up for discussion. I think, but we're, we're, we want to you know maybe necessarily what historic sites, and certainly Ellison's historic, but I think we also want to um, not necessarily be pointing to specific businesses. Maybe mm -hmm. you know the Water Temple, and maybe you know the Statue of Bosco, and maybe things that are just historic to Sonol. Um, but that's all up for discussion, I think, and I think that's definitely a fair question. But Kilcare Woods, you know, Little Brown Church, um, Water Temple, hiking. Uh, yeah, trailheads. 84, okay. you know, 680, you know, stuff like that. So um, I don't think we're necessarily yes or no on any of that. But I think the intent is to highlight the history of Sonol, you know, and I think certainly that would be part of it. But you know, that's all that's all part of the part part of the deal that we're going to figure out. So we just want to know what the things are going to look like for yeah. figure out the rest of it. I like it. Any questions? Okay. okay. That's it. Thank you, everybody. So. Um, the next item is the council staff comments, and I have attached to the agenda the 2023 SCAC year in review, which lists some of the activities and the accomplishments of the council. Um, I think there's 16 listed here. I don't necessarily want to go through all of them, but um, it was a very significant year this last year. Because um, we went from hybrid or from all Zoom webinars to hybrid to in person. Hopefully, we'll go back to hybrid again. But we purchased equipments to make that possible. We um, worked with the planning department to change that ugly antenna up there at Four Corners and make that uh, camouflage as a fir tree. Um, one of the most important things we did because the school sends school field trips and the kids walk from some old land to the water temple is we got Caltrans to install crosswalks that were safe with crosswalk light. They had finished the intersection and not installed the crosswalks. And we do know the kids walk that route. We know a lot of people walk that route. Um, so we were able to get them to uh, realign the one, one crosswalk they had and install two other crosswalks for the light for the pedestrians. Um, and as Benjamin was talking about, we were working with economic and civic development to um, try and improve the appearance of the downtown. Um, we worked with Caltrans, as um, CHP has, has mentioned, Caltrans to, to uh, close the off-ramp from 84 when they closed other parts of the freeway and then also close the other uh, roads to local traffic to try and keep Sonoma from getting backed up again. Um, well, uh, behind the scenes, oh, probably a lot of this is behind the scenes, but um, the construction on 84 over by Vallecitos, Caltrans was moving those K rails and um, Jersey barriers, whatever you want to call them, and they were blocking the egress and ingress of the ranchers who live back there. And the ranchers are not driving little Kia sports cars, they're driving big trucks with trailers full of cattle. And they couldn't get in and out of their own ranch. And so we worked, I worked with Caltrans to get them to move those Jersey barriers so they could get in and out. 
Um, we responded to the New Year's Eve floods, which took a lot of effort, um, getting Caltrans to remove that huge pile of debris that was blocking the bridge, um, led the town hall meeting on how to avoid future floods and understand the gauges so we can plan for it better, um, reviewed the quarry report and adding um, multiple reports that they had missed in that report. We also resolved that issue of why Oliver De Silva is not doing the reclamation out there. Um, it kept being reported every year that it was SFPUC, but it turns out it's PG&E. PG&E has a gas line going across their quarry that has to be relocated before they can do the reclamation. Um, we finished up negotiations, or I finished up negotiations with Martin Marietta and got $340,000 for the school and then did a trade-off in the vineyard, and so hopefully we'll get $600,000 from uh, Martin Marietta that, that will pay for the signs that we were just talking about, other improvements in the downtown area. Um, got the license plate readers that are getting work done. We got the new town clock, replacement clock that's going to be on Main Street. We um, put a lot of effort into the Niles County Stroller Bowl to make it more of a community event and um, centralize that in the parking lot. We still have some more improvements to make in that process, but I think it was much nicer this year. Um, so we're looking forward to the feedback on the communication test that was done because um, over several years we were really working with the county to improve communications for evacuations and for um, emergencies. Um, we've, we've got the Sonol train of lights. Um, we've worked on the Alameda County Action Plan, provided comments on that because they had not included the rivers and creeks and so on. Um, and then we also worked with Jeff Nichols of Cal Fire to make sure that they are looking at the electrical drop lines during the property inspection. So it was a, it was a busy year this last year. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any comments? No, I'm not happy. Anybody else have anything to add? Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully this next year will be a little easier for us. Okay. And that attachment, all of those items, were they on the back table? Did you see them? Yeah, okay. And they're attached to the, they're attached to the minutes, too. Okay. So we'll go on to item four, discuss the data and results from the FEMA FCC test. How you doing? Um, Okay, presentation on here so you can see some visuals. There's a folder called Sonal, and then it's the only uh, presentation in there. Apologies, um, Captain Perugia uh, couldn't make it this evening. Uh, he had, we had an incident today. Uh, I'm Brent, I'm the emergency manager for the county, and so um, kind of falls in my purview and uh, a lot of the technical aspects. As soon as she brings this up, uh, we'll kind of get this go through what we did. Essentially, what we're going to cover is what we did, what we got out of it, and the recommendations are real high level, and then kind of just open it up for questions. Uh, while she's bringing open the presentation, I just want to kind of remind everybody that you know, when we talk about AC alerts, we're really talking about a layered approach of communication, right? Because really what happens with any sort of notification, somebody has to get out there, reports come in, field elements like fire and all out there, make a recommendation or make a, make the evacuation, that gets kind of brought back to us. And then we're putting out, putting together what that emergency alert is, and we're sending it across things like social media, um, the AC alert system, which is a proprietary system that we pay for through an application vendor. Um, 
which is actually a couple of things. And then depending on the complexity of the incident, we start ramping those notifications up with bigger systems that we So that's when we start seeing things like the wireless emergency alert, the emergency alert system, the AS, which is like a TV and radio, uh, national weather, radio, depending. So the bigger the issue, the more, more tools we start pulling out of the toolbox. And is it also the system that does text calls and just general? <coughs> exactly. So there's many different things that get kind of pulled into that. Like even some some aspects like uh, Zonehaven or the Genesis has an application, right? So the application is one tool of ACL. But generally what people recognize is when it's a big enough issue, we're sending text messages and you know voice calls, all that stuff. Um, I'm just curious, did you guys also get any, anybody actually get the notification for the water outage on Kilcow Road and then mm -hmm. local oil? Okay. But never got anything that said it was at all clear. Yeah, so, and we're working through some of that because honestly that's really your your service provider, right? Like when power outages happen to BGE, that's not really coming from us, right, at the county. Right? They should have a customer contact. So that really came through the city of Pleasanton, which then we supported them with using the system. But you're kind of just notifying people who are uh, in, opted in for alerts. You're not really opt, opt notifying the customers themselves that they have uh, that you shouldn't notify. Right? They did door to door, and then uh, I actually posted boil water notices. So there was a little bit of. There's always this aspect of what are you trying to say. And what's the target audience? I mean, are they actually registered? And how many different ways do you have to touch them? Go ahead. So, I don't for it. Uh, one, they didn't do door to door. They did mailbox to mailbox. Okay. See, okay. that's I just what I got from the city of Pleasanton. Yeah, well, I'm just using it as an example. I'm kind of gauging because uh, as we go through this, I'll kind of touch on, uh, you know, it's you can't. It's hard to have a conversation with every single individual resident, right? right. So you got to gauge. What is the public? Especially when they're up in some road and you're going to get road sick going up there. Yeah. <laughs> like okay. I did today. I'll cover a couple of okay. things. Do you have a question? So I was part of this test alert system that took place, it's probably been like three months I'm now. Sorry. It was like my third week on the job and my boss was like, get in the car. We're going out into this community called Sonol. We're going to the care road. I'm going to drop you off on the side of the road. See if your phone gets reception and receives the alert. Yeah. And it did. But I never like opted into anything. So, okay, so AC alerts. Let me, let me go through the presentation. Okay, cool. Because that's, that's generally the problem. Okay? Right there on the slide, you got social media, you got AC alert, local boards, type of notifications. I'm not, not just talking about words, I'm talking about audible type of logs that officers use on the cars or in, you know, there's all sorts of techniques they use when they actually go when they evacuate the area. That's more outside the scope. And then you have wireless emergency alert, which is what you experienced, which is not an opt-in system, which is the federal system uh, that hits, looks like a text message, it's really not. It's like it kind of shows up on your phone differently. Um, the EAS is a TV and radio, right? That's another federal system. And then the radio, you, you, you conceive of it as the coast or you know weather type events, but honestly, we have the ability to send broadcasting through those radio transmitters also. 
And those are techniques that we started using after the Sonoma County fire, more so, and made a civil notification process, right? So those last three are kind of like, if ancients has abilities to sometimes geocode and like kind of pick a target audience, we're in some book, right? EAS, like the radio television, it's like throwing a snowball at the wall on whatever that radio broadcaster hits, okay? So same thing with no other radio, different transmitters, you throw that snowball or whatever splatters into is kind of the, the effect you get. Um, so I say that because it's an education piece, right? You don't, the end user doesn't understand that the capabilities of cell phone, the infrastructure that's on by Verizon, uh, all those things, all I can do is put the message out there and then it goes across all the different platforms. Okay, and so what I'm going to describe to you is how we did this test because we were testing multiple pieces of this, and then how we tried to validate what the public was giving back to us versus what we had on the ground that probably had a little bit higher understanding of what this notification was and did you actually get it and all that, okay? Um, and we can talk about some of the limitations that I had or, uh, honestly, we put this together quick. You guys said there was a problem and I happened to be here and I was like, yeah, in a couple of weeks we're about to do this national test and I had some experience doing this. I would try to put something together to see what we get out of it. Okay, so this was not to say not a good effort, because I've done the first one in the state of California, I've done a couple other ones in other, other counties. Um, it just kind of, every time you have to do something like this, there's, you know, how it was executed might have some problems in the evaluation aspects. So that, that's how some of you had to understand that how these systems work a little bit and that they get kind of used in different complexities. And now we're going to talk about um, what we actually did. So, okay, I know this is hard for you guys to see from your distance. Okay, I apologize. I was hoping for the whole screen. Um, but essentially, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, but it helps talking about it with the graphic um, generally. So, nationally, and we, the bigger concern was with cellular service. That kind of works off, more so works off of um, the WIA, that's the wireless emergency alert. That's what people were kind of hearing in communities. Um, so nationally, that alert went out to everything across the nation, right? There was no, anybody would have got it anywhere, um, hopefully. Uh, EAS, the emergency alert system on your TV and radio, same thing, all over the nation, right? Now, the challenge becomes for us, if we want to evaluate it, kind of have to pick a smaller target area because I have only so many people to put on the ground and a way to observe it. And I want to compare that feedback to what the public gives us, right? Now, I also want to pick the area that has a lot of terrain issues, a lot of vegetation issues, and you're probably going to have bad reception, right? And that maybe there's a high density of homes, so you're getting a bigger population of people who maybe are going to have these problems. And also, they're going to give you some feedback. Right? If I put a survey out there and nobody gives me any feedback, then I have nothing to compare the two data sets to. Um, so these are some of the challenges and what we did. So essentially, during the, the kind of like advertising, um, one, radio, television, and then us and that AC alert that went out a few days ahead of time told the whole county that this thing was about to happen. Now, what we did today before is we did that, that little square box of Kilcare Road we kind of targeted and said this is probably some of our most biggest areas that we've had fire floods issues and then also 
higher density homes, more terrain issues, vegetation. We did another targeted message saying this is the test was going to happen, and we also advertised the social, the, uh, the link for survey feedback, right? We also advertised that through your social media platform. I couldn't really advertise that through our social media platform because that's going to go across the whole county, and I'm going to get a bunch of responses that you really don't want to, you want to leave that out, right? Um, so that's essentially what we did. We dropped volunteers off uh, every quarter mile or so. We had about 20 volunteers plus some of the supervisor staff that showed up that we didn't expect. We took all their information, right? We taught them what to look for, uh, made sure they had cell phones, radios, and such. The only systems that we were looking for data back on was, was AC alerts, like the, the telephone, landline type stuff, and text messaging that we do. The wireless emergency alert, which shows up looking like a text message, was a national message that came out. And then we were looking for some feedback on whether they got good what radio reception for the EAS, the uh, television and her radio, right? And as long as you're getting uh, reception from the radio, your, your car radio and such, you pretty much know you're able to get it if you're listening to the right channels. Generally, if there is emergency, even though you're on different channels, the primary channel will say it first, and then all the other news agencies are going to start picking it up and start broadcasting it also. So you, you may not have heard that yourself because you were listening to the wrong broadcaster. We were listening for it. We, we got it um, pretty much 100%. Um, I will say that, again, we saturated kind of the Kilcare Road area. We also were down south and had a couple of patrols. Uh, the captain himself, a sergeant, myself, we kind of scattered into some areas that have a density of homes, uh, you know, Ridgeline, we're kind of like, well, maybe they don't have good service. Let's kind of prop ourselves up there when we have, we're, you know, we're in the vicinity of all these other homes. Let's see what happens. So it wasn't just kill care, though. We kind of, we, we, so we were trying to generate more public response from one area and looking at the internal alerting system locally, like what we can do without going to the big federal systems. And then we were also kind of covered down on some other areas. And if you go to the next slide. No, so what were our findings? This is really, that's how we got there. That's how we built the, um, the test itself. And I say when we build the test, we don't just look for, um, you know, we're using mixed methods, right? We're going to look at what the data tells us quantitatively, like the numbers, right? How many phone calls went out. And we're also going to look at social media platforms to kind of get the qualitative data that's telling us what is the public saying, right? what's the impression. And we're going to also talk to our volunteers and get some feedback there and, and such. So there's, you know, you're kind of looking at it from a lot of different perspectives. I'm also looking at our staff and I'm saying, were they able to send a message and were, was they, were they able to integrate this messaging or uh, activating systems in alignment with the federal government too, right? Like, because now you've got multiple things going on. Um, so those were all the, the methodology. Um, really, when we walk away from it, um, Essentially, the, the, the area we drew on the map for AC alert, like when we call your house, the systems that we own locally, um, text message, phone lines, emails, type of thing, um, we had about 479 opt-in users that were in the database. Those, obviously, are more residents that are in that area, right? But you have multiple accounts, people who are old in the data set. And then also, each time you register your device, like whether you have a phone, an email, um, multiple phones or different devices, those kind of come up um, as multiple hits. So we have actually a pretty good amount. From what I looked at property assessment, we have a pretty good percentage of opt-in in that area. 
Um, the other aspect is if you look at confirm rate of how many people, when you, when you get a message that says, do you confirm, you'll get, you, you push yes, it's tracking that. So about, I think it was 46, the 49 confirmed, 403 unconfirmed. With that said, when you confirm, it stops calling your other devices and notifying. So, you know, once it, it, it cuts out a couple of them. So then you start looking at that and kind of look at the parcel data and you say, oh, our numbers are getting closer, right? Um, the observers, I would say we had 20 uh, total that I kind of captured or some other random, random people who showed up. 80% uh, of those reported saying they got the RIA messaging. Uh, those, you said RIA? RIA. RIA. Wireless emergency alert. So they knew specifically the difference between the AC alert, like text messaging, versus what that federal government put out that's coming across the infrastructure. We talked to them beforehand exactly what to look for. We captured what cell phone providers they were using, what type of device they had. Uh, because all those things, they play out differently. I will tell you that a motor device can only get a RIA message that's up to 90 characters long. It doesn't do translation. It doesn't do certain things. Then uh, a newer device will be able to do up to 360 characters, and it'll do some translation based on what your preferences are on the phone. And I was shocked because my one phone is a Samsung. I have three different cell phones if you didn't notice. <laughs> um, one of them started reading the, the WEA message to me, and my team, like most of us, didn't even know that was out yet. Um, and so, I mean, this is always evolving. We always have to do things to be like, okay, because. FCC and FEMA don't always tell us that the new capabilities that came out were the provider. So I will tell you one of the things I learned is a Samsung phone is doing more than an iPhone for sure right now. In fact, a Samsung phone will pick up a radio station because it can pick up radio frequencies so we can get EAS radio signals without being on the network, whereas an iPhone will not. It just doesn't have much shit. So I'm just saying, each of the devices nowadays, technologies evolving. And, and it's constantly changing. So with that said, only 20, uh, we had 20 observers that you could count on that we trained, we placed them out there, we got feedback from them, um, you know, 80% got it. I will say that positive, like, so you still have like four people who said they didn't get it, right? What, as, what we did is we dropped them off in the van, and we intentionally put them kind of in the areas that we probably could have not get reception, because you, you gotta figure too, we're also not in a house, right? We couldn't go in your homes. So we kind of tend to put them on the road somewhere that they're not on personal property and yet safe. Um, so the other aspect being that uh, when they got in the vehicle and picked them back up, they generally got it within, they ended up getting the message within 50 to 100 years. And what that tells you is when we put a, a certain messaging, we can actually geofence an area. And we can make that message, and that means that we, we can draw a picture on a map, a circle, and if you drive into that circle and that message is active, now you're going to get it based on the quality of your phone, right? Because how well those geo capabilities. So that's important because sometimes we'll put a broadcasting of a signal out and we'll say, for the next two hours, this is relevant, or 24. It's like two to 24 hours you do. And so you might not be getting a signal at that very moment, or you might have an obstruction, but as you move, your device might pick, it will probably pick up. So as soon as we started picking people off, up before they got within 100 meters or so, generally they got the message. Everybody was able to say when they came back, oh, I, I ended up getting it, but I didn't get it at the specific time that we, we were supposed to, right? So they were know at first. And, and I would still say, obviously, they're dead spots, right? And so 
that's what we got from the, that, the public survey, surveys. We only got 10 eligible. And I say eligible because some people submitted the survey, you know, it's time stamped, and it was three hours before the test actually happened. When I said, okay, I can't count that one. But, you know, some people, some of them actually reported they got the EAS messages. I didn't get the WEA, which makes sense because the radio is probably a better signal strength. Um, different transmitters and such. Um, so that was a 50-50. So there's kind of a comparison, a 50% of getting the WEA messages, which is kind of where we start looking at what is the public telling me versus what are my observers on the ground telling me. And I will say that some of the, if I had some of the tools at hand and some of the much more time planning, um, sometimes you can put together surveys that geocode for the person, right? So when you submit your response, it tells them exactly where you're at versus me depending on you putting on your address and, and knowing that you were actually there at the time you submitted the survey. So that, kind of, that would narrow down our accuracy and the information that comes back. But I would say that for the purpose of what we did, this was, you know, we, because we have people on the ground and kind of verify, that's much better. Some of the, another limitation or gap might be maybe you're concerned about specific other areas of the county or I'm sorry, signal that maybe we didn't have enough bodies and so there have to be more recruitment and more community engagement to make sure they're ready to go and know what they're looking for, right? And so that takes obviously more lead time. So um, the other aspects that are on there that you guys might not be as concerned about or interested in, but you know, we did look at our states, our social media platforms where we put information, right? Um, Next four or by four blows them out of the water, 90-something thousand different engagement and questions. They all measure differently in the analytics in the background. Facebook, we didn't do so well with. And I would say that's because we didn't pay for the boosting. Um, and that's also because the different county departments all have different um, accounts. Or it's probably not using the right term there. Um, and so not as many people are following the OES division as they are the sheriff's department or the, but when we do have a big event, we put out a message and all the departments share it. And one of the things I noticed with Twitter is we shared the FEMA FCC uh, notification and that got tens of thousands. Uh, when I did a, a follow-up later and I put something on just on our account only, we had like four likes. It was very disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we got to work on putting more information out there, content throughout the year, to build a better followership. Yeah. And that's one of the things we want to do. Uh, do you guys have an Instagram? We don't, and I'm going to be honest, um, at the rate that these schools are expanding, oh, with everything else since CHP did it, we're recruiting for two senior emergency services. <laughs> uh, I was recently promoted, uh, you know, and then we got a positive uh, of two of are asking for like, more. Um, and I say that because people don't realize that every one of these schools, I got to put information in it. You know, just doing that little water list of four or five people to give the information and give it into one or two systems that we're using. One of the big disaster happens and they want us to post three different social media platforms. Like I said, you see alerts really two proprietary systems. Zone Haven is another application. Um, they got to control, put the information in. Uh, and then you have the wireless emergency alert, EAS, NOAA. They all have to take, and then you want to translate it, right? And so, um, you know, all those things, excuse me, but when I make a typo and somebody drills into my typo, I'm like, ah, you got to be kidding me. They don't realize how hard this is. 
So there is no system as of now that allows you to plug into one thing that shoots yeah, it out so at all. We do have a hoot suite yep. and some other things that, but even then, then, then if you use an application to feed other applications, yeah. your traction isn't as good yeah. as if you use it in the organic system. Uh, so there's, trust me when I say we have a whole team, when, when something goes out, that's why we're slow to get information out sometimes because unfortunately, especially in other counties I've learned, you know, especially terrain, uh, weather, this stuff always happens. Fires kind of break out later in the afternoon, right? At least in most, most areas. Temperatures rise, winds start picking up. Well, when the county employees start going home, there's a fire break out, probably about 4.30. Um, and then you call them, and then you got the guys who are on duty, but then they need support from all these other aspects, right? And so um, it, it gets to be challenging. Um, so Instagram, we've talked about it's something we're thinking about. But I just wondered. I mean, for this for this community, it wouldn't make sense. No, no, I, I'm fully totally aware. I, I also yeah. think that's why Facebook didn't work yeah. here. No, and that's but not our point. Obviously, that's next that, door. Again, makes that's a, a lot of real, sense. That's a real low level event. Those are like, hey, we've got a problem. We do use the, the bigger systems much more often. Like the basic, we want to text. We want to do things. We don't want to burn people out. We want to make sure it's relevant. So, um, none of this data, we don't actually have any of this data that you talked about, but we know half of the canyon, more than half of the canyon, does not get cell phone. So, I mean, what we want to know is how many people actually could get a message through a cell phone, how many got it through the internet, which if the power is out, the internet, internet is out, which means those people do not get a message. How many people actually can get a message through some other service? You know, they, the the radio broadcast. I don't. I don't really know that that worked. I. I and that's, what? And that's what how, how many people have a cell phone that actually will get a signal? Will get your message through something other than cell phone or internet? Okay, and so that's what I'm kind of pointing out to you, leading into this stuff. With we use multiple layers because. I, but I, but I, don't, I don't know what the numbers are. Yeah, you, you haven't told us any... But I'm telling you what I can come up with. Okay. Because there is no way, unless I put people on the ground, to get whether you got a radio reception or not. Right? But of your people on the ground, you had a bunch of people on the ground. How many of them got it from... Everybody got EAS. 80% uh, of them got the VIA message. 100% yeah. of them got it within 100 meters of where they were standing. And yeah. that's already and that's now, 20 people. So, so that's, what, what, what's that, cell phone or is that? Cell phone. That's so, we have only a cell phone. Cell phone does not get to 80% of the camera. And I'm telling you what I can confirm. Um, and, and I get, but I'm get, but I'm also getting at the other systems, the AC alert and stuff, they also go to landline. So I can't tell you there's one solution. What I can tell you is what we did and where, where we're at. And then also it, um, afterwards, Captain Perugia met and spoke to uh, Verizon, right? Because again, the county doesn't own the infrastructure, right? Do we own the cell tower? Right. And so all I can tell you is give me some of the figures that we can. And they can also do mesh density and looking at their service providers. He spoke to them about whether they you know, have any projects or are you interested in uh, increasing the capability. You know, this is like kind of like the first step and something we try to do to add some service and value to what you're asking for later, right? And so I can tell you that we, there are some solutions. And the next slide, you know, it's really kind of like 
you know, if you have a service provider, whether it's a landline, cell phone, whatever it might be, uh, you know, I encourage you to sign up. You know, if you don't have any of those systems, then, you know, I'm going to say, you know, the best thing I can offer you is, hey, make sure you have an AM, FM radio, and that you have a known weather radio, and that you have those devices on. I can encourage you to have the newest cell phones because they do have more capability. Um, I would also encourage, like you did the CAP uh, plan with um, CDA, right, the Community Development, right, that came and did those risk profiles and things go into our hazard mitigation plan for the county. When the hazard mitigation plan comes out, they say, here's the vulnerable areas, and then they come up with mitigation strategies at the end, and that's how we get county and we work with the electeds to figure out what projects that we're going to address, right? And so those might be some of those opportunities for funding, and that's kind of why we did this step first. Mm -hmm. Brent, is WEA different, a, a different process, a different radio signal, or a different um, pathway to get to the phones than what ACL has been using in the past? It is. So we, okay, so we send a message through what they call iPods, but that triggers wireless emergency alert, EAS systems, things like the federal systems, right? It's not really a text message when it hits your phone. That's why I give you, anybody who's really kind of noticed, I know you don't get a lot of them, but your text messages will still be there as a chat like you have with a friend or family, right? That's AC alert. We're using traditional um, text messaging applies, uh, fees apply type of stuff, right? Um, WEA is kind of more of a radio signal, and it just hits, it activates whatever cell towers that we, if we draw a circle, I mean the towers that can touch that vicinity, those towers activate, send that signal, and it kind of on your dashboard, your it's a different, it's a different. So it requires cell tower. Yeah, all of this stuff. Which is the problem. Yes. Yeah. The problem for us. For WIA, yes. But those other systems do not. And that's why we do a later approach. Okay, so I'm alive. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so is it, so if you're up in the canyon and let's say you don't get cell service or you can still get one of those? So the, my understanding, and this is, you know, all I can do is. If, if you're eligible for a, a landline, then AC alert system, the, the, our proprietary system that we pay for locally, have control over, uh, that gives you landlines, text messaging, uh, email distribution, all that, right? Now, when it comes to the federal system, that is just your cell phone off of the same cell tower, but it's sending out different kind of signal. And so that is, um, and those are kind of the high-level events. That's an opt-in, or an opt -in, that's not an opt-in system. Anybody who's in that air facility is going to get that, get that messaging, right? Whereas the AC alert system that you subscribe to is the telephone, the text messages, the landline, and the email. And that is, you know, run even a mobile app that is available with it also. That has a different, uh, those, those are only for people opt-in. But that's something so you can get. No, you would not get it. Okay. You didn't have cell reception. Okay, so you can't. Yeah. Okay. So this is what you're supposed to do. Pretty much. Was that? Your results are holding together for us. Because if we we don't have cell. But we don't have any results. Right. Exactly. We have no data. I mean, can I, can I ask you a quick question? Go ahead. I understand. I understand. I understand. Frustration. Of the 20 people that you set out, how many people when they didn't move 100 meters? Okay. Did not get it. Yeah. How many? Four. Four. On Kilcare Road. On 
Kilkelly. We're in when they were stationary. And within 100 meters. I don't care about the 100 meters. When they were standing on Kilkelly Road, they didn't get. Okay, I'll okay. yeah. in that. Four didn't get. Yeah. Four didn't get. But, but before they left, the chart and yeah. the graph of this, I mean, you know, and, and how many, which ones got it from cell tower, which ones got it from WIA? Because WIA is a new thing, and we've never. Yeah. 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 Comes yeah. from the sky to the cell tower. It doesn't matter. We're only talking about WIA. So without, with them standing in a stationary position, 16 out of, out of the 20 received it, plus other people who were out here who were. Like I didn't have her results. Like right. we were just kind of randomly around. Out of the decisions. Sorry, they couldn't understand that moving 100 meters kind of doesn't matter. Did it here in your house? There's it's no reason. There's no reason for you to move. Right. Good point. You're not going to move. It's going to be too late. So yeah, right. I understand. Oh, they moved. Oh, they're running out of like this. I'm not going to move 100 but meters. But they're just in their house, just looking there, watching yeah. TV. There's, there's no reason for them to go to and move 100 meters. Right. So the so actual, the relevant information, 16 out of 20, that's what we need. That's that's it. The other ones. All got that would not they wouldn't move. And, and I would say, but you're only looking at the VIA component now. Right. right. No, for sure. Because we don't just use, you know, how often are we just sending a VIA out for a certain thing? We, we have only done a few in this county over the years. Yeah, I mean, so those would be fire, flood, evacuation. It is a big deal. If but but of, of your 20 people out there, X number of them got cell phone signal, got, got a regular AC alert message. Do, do we know how many got AC alert message? No, because they weren't looking for that at that time. We sent the AC alert well, I got an AC alert message. Uh, you, you guys didn't get... Okay. We um, sent an AC alert the day before. Um, so now we're only having... Uh, see, that's what I'm saying. I have to compare it to who actually understands the difference between systems and be on the ground and be able to verify the results. And now we look at it and we say, how much public education do we need to do because People don't really understand the difference in these systems. They don't understand the limitations. And and again, you you and I get it. You want to improve the service that, that service capability, but we also that's dependent on the privately owned infrastructure, right? Yeah. I bought an application. We we as a county bought an application and use these different tools to try to layer an approach, right? And again. The, the challenges are beyond just did you get the message. But the challenges for me go beyond that. It goes to did you understand it? Was it in the right language? So a lot of times what we're looking at is not just getting a message out there, but getting trusted agents who are going to proliferate that message. And I'm just going to share this with you in the aspect that even when government puts a message out there, a lot of times people say, is it that bad? Should I leave? I'm not going to tell you how many times I've gotten calls back to the office. Somehow they got my number. And they say, well, it's not that bad where I'm at. Call me again when the fire gets closer. And I'm like, not this is not a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I don't say that to be a jest. Even my wife in the Sonoma County Complex fire in 2017, I called her at 11 o'clock at night saying, you need to get the animals to get out. And she's like, well, really? And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? The one person. <laughs> Have I ever called you on like, Sunday night at 11 o'clock to say, evacuate? And you know, you know, so I mean, even my my spouse doesn't move as fast as I want her to move or take that first shot of the morning. Yeah, I understand that whole thing but, about people thinking they need to protect their house and, and they don't want to evacuate. But but I think we're still at the basics mm -hmm. of are we getting a signal? And so and, I would say that in your house, you have I, whether those ones. The next question becomes: 
can they get a landline? Right? Is that service available? That's seventy dollars a month. For That's a lot of money. Is it really seventy? And who provides that out here? And so these are the. I can only give you some of the solutions, and then I say, you know, when it comes to how do we get that better cell tower or whatever? I understand everybody wants the cell service. You know, then there's Starlink, there's other solutions that'll give you services at home. And like I said, we're using multiple devices, right? So I mean, even at the lowest level, then, then it's like you encourage, especially rural areas, of, of, even for other counties that I've worked with, we encourage, hey, you need to have a weather radio, you have to have a, a radio, because if it's really that bad, we're gonna be pulling all the triggers and that thing can sit quietly plugged in in your house somewhere, and it's going to squawk when that signal gets tripped. It's called a weather radio. National yes. weather, mm -hmm. weather Radio. They have the same technology as AME. Um, you know, if we pull that trigger, if it's that bad, we're going to notify in every aspect possible. EAS does the same thing. You can have a, a radio that just sits, and, and, and it'll, it'll go off when that, when that frequency gets triggered. And I know that is not your primary. Like most people nowadays have used cell phones. All I can do is give you the findings and things that we did and what I could get from that one. But the AC alert does not go out over VIA. So anybody who, you know, your messages to, uh, yes. there's a flood, you know, unless it's the National Weather Service. Our messages can go across all those platforms depending on how. So we now does, I and mean, we is not just. We, we will send a national. No, no, we, can, we have access to all those systems. Okay. We did it on this particular day because the national, they were already going to trip the system, mm -hmm. right? So when you guys mentioned that this was a need, or you guys wanted to kind of evaluate some of this, I said, okay, this thing's already going to, they're going to be sending a signal. Now it's a matter of how do we evaluate that signal. Rather than me, um, if I want to do a local test, I have to go to FCC and I got to get a waiver to be able to buy, test it, to make sure that, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to use a system that isn't actually needed as an emergency. And not yeah, so, so we've got AC alerts sent out from the water being out. Uh, and that system. Is that go over WIA? No, that's not. That was. So you had electricity in your house. That was.
it fails, so you want to back up a different thing. So that may be something in the future also to add in what he's doing. Yeah, we and, did talk about sirens on yes, a couple of the conference calls. And so that may be a thing to back it up. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have the two work together. Well, at least you know 16 spots you put sirens that they would get that signal and send, you know, send an alert out. Yeah. <laughs> I think the sirens will work anywhere. Not a real thread, though. you got to have the old wind up ones. I can go back through and just. just maybe that's I was trying to do some type of visual. Yeah. And, uh, do they share anything in common, the type of cell phone provider, the location? I do have exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And, it, and it's it's not going to, again, it's not, the cell tower isn't going to have that, like, it's not going to have that granularity of, like, no matter what you do, if there's a train obstacle, it's going to create some little dead spots here and there. Um, but it gives you a sense of this area, how bad is it? Yeah. And what, you know, that, the support you would want, that's kind of open, like, are we going to see... 50%, 40% of, of people who actually know what they're looking for, right? Or are we going to get a higher percentage? And then that kind of gives you a, hey, this is a big, huge area of a lot of homes in a high threat area that don't have it, anything, right? And again, it's a layered approach, so it's kind of like, I know everybody wants a cell phone, but is landline an option? And if not, if it's too expensive, is there a government program to help with the cost, right? Um, Random question, sort of. Is there anything that exists that goes straight from the satellites in the sky to the cell phone and surpasses the cell tower? I thought Sirius XM did that. And Sean Wilson was saying Sirius XM is the solution. I said, all right. Yes, yes, will transmit through, will transfer through EAS or through Sirius XM. Then again, you need in the free version, but then the next person would say, I don't use series, SF and XM. Yeah. And so that's one it's a really nice road of we are using multiple things. It's you know, your multiple tools, you pick your your slice of what you know, what's most popular and what's most used. And then ultimately the biggest challenge is infrastructure in our country is really owned by the private sector. And if we want more cell phone towers, somehow they have to be controlled. We want better coverage. Either the technology gets better or, you know what I'm saying? That's well, we ask. Every time we come for a minute, we ask for that. Uh, and, and, and that's where, like, the captain went and spoke to one of the providers and said, you know, what's the road forward? Like, Al Colo, another county, and Mendocino County, we went to the frontier start leaning on them, and that's where maybe they elected to get, you know, A's the priority area, what, what are we doing here? Um, and then, again, you know, the, the technology moves quick, so. And I apologize if it didn't address everything you wanted. I'm just doing the best what I had to work with. We can continue to kind of come through the process and come up with something maybe better that um, will take more collaboration with our community partners and such to try to get even more out of it next time, or how we want to do it moving forward. Um, so you're, um, you're going to come back to us with either like email to me or to this meeting to identify the dead spots, the four dead spots that we're not yeah. getting a signal.
Do you know what the dead spots are for the 50% of residents that took the survey and claimed they didn't get it? That was, I'll, I'd go back and look at it. It was very... It's self-reporting, so. It's self-reporting, so sometimes the address I looked at, I was like, because it didn't, there was no geo aspect, when I looked at their address, the way they I was like, is, they spelled something wrong, or it wasn't uh, a reference, or they did fine, and I didn't really look at, when I started seeing the low number, it didn't add value to really kind of map that out at the time, if that makes sense. So, okay, I only got 10 here, you know. Well, if you can share that with us. I can give you the names. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can give you the best I can of what they reported. Yeah, okay. Now, thanks for trying to do something like you knew they were going to send the thing out to you. Wait a second, let's go yeah. try this on anyway. And that, that's, at least that's good proactive. I know the data wasn't precise and stuff, and it was just kind of a, but you could have done nothing. Yeah. You went out and they tried to take advantage of it. So thank you very much for that.
uh, administrative upgrades um, between 2018 and 2022. And again, this application was done with the department last year. Okay, so this is a site plan showing the, uh, the lease area with um, fencing, uh, equipment cabinets, and then the poles, and then the, the trees uh, toward the bottom of the site plan that I was speaking of. So on the, um, on the east or the, the freeway side of the, uh, the site. Next slide, please. And then here are the, um, here's what was um, approved the last go around for um, renewal of the uh, two um, poles there, each with um, two antennas. And as this is an X, and again, the, uh, the height, the existing and proposed height is 20 feet, where the maximum that can be considered is uh, 90, 90 feet for telecom towers in the county. Uh, next slide, please. And so on the left, uh, the photosims are the existing. Uh, on the right uh, is what's proposed, which is to um, uh, is to camouflage the, uh, the existing facility and enclosure area with uh, um, uh, foam foliage on the antennas and poles and uh, green slats in the uh, chain link fence. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so this, this is just briefly the conditional use per permit findings from the zoning code. And then um, hitting on some uh, bullets from the uh, county telecom policy, uh, namely that uh, these conditional use permits expire uh, after 10 years. That's why we're here. Um, and that the uh, site preferences uh, laid out in the guidelines are met by this proposal, including uh, camouflage and landscaping. Uh, so, in conclusion, staff recommends that the Civil Citizens Advisory Council recommend approval for these County Board of Zoning Adjustments uh, conditional use permit during 023-00138 to continue operation of a telecommunication facility featuring two 20-foot fire poles um, approved uh, uh, 10 years ago and expiring um, uh, this fall in October. No public comment was received and um, draft conditions just to hit on some highlights would be a five-year staff review uh, that could be brought back here if there's, um, if there's uh, issues like code enforcement that goes unbeaten and then a, uh, an expiration in 10 years. So uh, again, the applicant uh, couldn't be here if staff's available to answer any questions you may have. Um. Anybody would the camouflaging would actually take place as planned as far as if we approved when, when would the camouflage work be done? We could I don't I don't know that the draft conditions had a deadline on that, but that could be amended, I suppose. Any idea of the health of the trees, the natural trees around there uh, that aid in the camouflage? I don't, I don't have an arborist report. Uh, I haven't um, been to that part of the site, so only way I haven't been there. Maybe if the trees are near the end of their life, then they cut them down and around we go again. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's, that is true. I suppose that could be another condition. 
Approve the project. You support approval to the. You support the recommendation. On the. It's, it's not a, an approval, but we are staff is requesting a recommendation. So if there's a motion and a second, and vote, we can bring that forward to the uh, East County BZA. Excellent. I would motion to approve based on the conditions that we have them agree to take care of the existing trees. And that we also have a deadline that they must put the, the, the socks and the foliage on. And based on that, I would motion to recommend approval. Those two Is there a second? second. You? Connie. Okay. Uh, I can do the roll call vote. Uh, Council Member Conant? Approved. Council Member Harrison? Approved. Council Member Kent Romo? Approved. Council Member DeGrange? Right, we're just saying recommendation. Recommendation. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Rodrigo. Yes. Yes. Good evening, everybody. My name is Rodrigo Orduña. I'm uh, with the County Planning Department, and uh, I have made handouts of the PowerPoint presentation. Um, they are here, if anybody wants to see them, um, and folks have them up front as well, and the PowerPoint will show up on the screen as well. But I'm here to talk about um, a draft ADU ordinance, or an accessory dwelling unit ordinance, um, that we are currently working on and trying to get to uh, adoption by the Board of Supervisors um, sometime hopefully in March of 2024. Um, so, thank you. So, if you can go to the next slide, on slide number two. Um, accessory dwelling units are otherwise known as uh, secondary units or granny flats or in-law units or backyard cottages or additional units of housing that can be added to a, uh, to a piece of property uh, where there's a single family home, right? So, you've got your, your main house, your single family home, and attached to the house in the basement that you convert, in an attached garage, in uh, a living space that you have, you can convert that to an accessory dwelling unit. You can also convert a detached existing building to an accessory dwelling unit, or you can build an, an addition to your house, attached to the house, and make that into an accessory dwelling unit, or you can build a brand new building detached from the main house, 
into an accessory dwelling. So, so you can have various ways to create a little mini cottage accessory dwelling. Uh, the county already allows them per the state rules, per state legislation. The state is making every single jurisdiction, including Alameda County, actually come up with rules, our own ordinance, because um, the state, on purpose, just creates legislation that is not funded and it's very broad, uh, not very um, detailed to uh, to each jurisdiction, and leaves it up to the local jurisdictions to sort of fill in the gaps uh, and come up with their own funding to implement. Uh, and so we are being uh, required by the state to adopt the state legislation um, and uh, in order to get our housing elements, our housing element approved by the state, we need to adopt our uh, accessory dwelling unit ordinance, among many other ordinances that the state is, is having us adopt that. Uh, they're not part of tonight's conversation, we'll be back uh, with, with that. Uh, conversation. Tonight we're strictly talking about these granny units, these accessory dwelling units. The intent of the planning department is to um, be right at the, um, to approve an ordinance that is right in line with the state legislation. We don't want to be any more permissive. The state requires that uh, in adopting your own local uh, ordinance, you can be more permissive than the state, but you cannot be any more restrictive than the state. And I'll go into the details of what that means. So um, we've gotten many comments back from various members of the community that they don't want us to be more permissive than the state, that we really need to, um, the state allows uh, only the main ABU plus the junior accessory building units. I'll go into all the details in a bit. Um, they, they, the state uh, limits the heights and the setbacks, etc. And we're going to we're going to toe the line with what the state allows and not being any more permissive uh, based on community feedback. So, um, so that's in general a very broad background of what an accessory building unit is um, and why we're doing this. Um, the uh, ADUs and JADUs, of course, have some benefits. They provide new more affordable homes in smaller households, uh, for smaller households within a fabric of an existing neighborhood, right? So you don't necessarily need brand new apartment buildings or condominium buildings, you can build an ADU in everybody's uh, backyard. You, you pretty much uh, increase the housing stock, but still you have from, from the street what looks like a single-family home with perhaps a cottage in the back. Um, some families, uh, because of the increase in the cost of housing, kids are moving back home after college or the grandparents um, are moving back into the home with, with the adult kids and the grandkids. Uh, everybody still wants a bit of independence. They don't want to live right on top of each other. So, so the accessory dwelling unit allows for people to sort of remain in their own space while living close to, to the nuclear family. Also, uh, ADUs allow people an opportunity to rent out and actually be able to afford uh, very expensive properties in our areas. So somebody comes, buys a house, and they can barely uh, afford the mortgage. They, they build an ADU. There's uh, programs in place to provide the loans to do so, as long as they, they uh, rent it out. Uh, and then they can afford the home. Um, and again, we're, we're looking at providing uh, housing for seniors, young adults, uh, home health care workers, developmentally disabled adults, and other members of our communities. Uh, next slide, number three, please. Um, so again, going back to what the state uh, is asking us. The state 
already requires, and we have no choice, they require in a single family neighborhood, and um, we realize that Sinol is uh, special in many ways, and one of the ways that Sinol is special is that you're all in septic systems and wells. Um, and so that still goes, is considered uh, when, when reviewing accessory and I'll go that, into that in a bit. But the state already requires that in single family residential neighborhoods, um, we allow the main house on a property, depending on septic capabilities and depending on water capabilities, we allow an accessory dwelling unit, and um, depending on septic and depending on water capabilities, and if the property owner lives on the property, we allow a junior accessory dwelling unit that's 500 square feet maximum. It's got to be part of the main house within the main house. Again, dependent on septic capabilities and water capabilities, um, and fire access. All this, all, all the life safety stuff still comes into play. Um, so those are three units so far. There's the option for a fourth detached AD. So you can, in one single family property, you can have possibly up to four dwellings. Okay? So the era of the single family neighborhood is over. Um, so people could have a main house. They could have an attached, enclosed junior accessory dwelling unit, 500 square feet max home an attached accessory dwelling unit within the body of the main house, and a detached accessory dwelling unit of 300 square feet. Could you also have a detached junior ADU? Yep. Yep. You can have one, one junior ADU. So what if you had your main house, your attached ADU, and a detached junior ADU? You cannot have a detached junior ADU. The, AD, the junior ADU has to be fully enclosed within the main house. Weird. By definition, the junior is in the house. It's just under the roof. That's oh. why it's called junior. I figured if junior just simply meant it was under 500 square feet. Because inside the house. Inside yeah. the house. Yeah. So, four units, right? Again, this life safety still matters, uh, thankfully, from the state. I'm not going to put it as of today, I haven't taken that away from us. Um, so, you still need septic. Uh, you still need to pass septic. You still need to pass water quality and quantity. You still need fire access. If uh, some of our uh, roads are very narrow or there's a bridge to cross, or there's not enough water pressure to get additional fire um, uh, firefighting capabilities, and uh, then then if there's if, if the technicalities don't work, then, then you don't get it out there. You still need you still need to to meet the technicalities. But the zoning restrictions pretty much go away. Um, so okay. yes. So for your attached ADU and or your detached ADU. Mm -hmm. It could be anywhere from, who cares, as small as 200, 300 square feet. No more, absolutely no more than 800 square feet. No. Um, so if you're building, and this gets get complicated, but it's like, oh, it's bouncing ball. Um, so if you're converting a basement, okay. right? Imagine a basement. Everybody's got, somebody's got a 2,000 square foot house, and they've got a full basement underneath it. You can convert that full basement. So you can convert a 2,000 square foot basement into an ADU. Somebody's got a detached barn, right? Somebody else, different property, has got a detached barn that's 3,000 square feet. They can convert that full detached barn to an ADU. Okay? Now, 
the, the size restriction come in when you're building brand new or when you're adding. Let's say you've got your house, it's a 2,000 square foot house, and you want to add to the back of it, you want to slap on an ADU to the back of it. Then we're saying, oh, now you're adding. You can only add up to, for an ADU, up to 1,200 square feet. If you're building a brand new detached ADU, it can be up to 1,200 square feet. If you're, uh, if you're adding a JDU, that's where the 800 square feet limitation comes out. The state, for some reason, limits, when you have JDU, they limit the ADU to 800 square feet. Okay. This is all, we're following down the line of the state legislation. If uh, your JDU is attached to your house, which it has to be. The JDU has to be enclosed within the house. I thought you said max 500 square feet. The JDU is max 500. The ADU then, if you're building an ADU, then it's 800 square so where was the twelve hundred? If you're not having, if you don't have a JD, and you're building a, a new baby. is that outlined in this document anywhere? <laughs> it is. It is. Um, it is both in the staff report that's also back here. Um, I included for everybody. I'm sure you you can't fall asleep, so you want something boring to read. I included the state legislation. And behind that, I included our local county ordinance. These are over here? Uh, they are hopefully not copies. That's what I've done. This one says 27. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Okay. So, ADUs. Uh, slide number four. Um, the, the state legislation, the most recent state legislation, and they keep changing, the most recent state legislation, AB2221, um, redefines high restrictions that we're, that we're adopting, um, redefines modifications to the 60-day rule, meaning that we have to, everybody who looks at an ADU has to respond and approve within 60 days. So we're all putting on our sneakers and moving fast. Um, the front setback is modified, I'll explain that, and the multifamily housing um, rules are modified, and I'll explain that. So each one of these bullets, redefining heights. It used to be that ADUs were limited to 16 feet tall at 4 feet away from the property line, right? So this is, here's the property line, 1, 2, 3, 4, so about here. So 4 feet away from the property line, you can go 16 feet high. Okay, so the, the normal setbacks for a house no longer apply 10 feet if you're 15 feet of what we used to do on camera. If you're building a, a, an ABU, this is probably line, you can go up 16 feet high. Love that. Definitely not tall enough for two stories, you can say. Well, so, um, it doesn't apply to Sonoma, but in more, the more urbanized areas, if you're proximal to, to um, uh, public transit, or if you are building an ADU with, uh, within a multi-family housing area, then you can go up to 18 feet tall and two-story. Okay. Um, again, I talked already about the 60-day rule, rule. That's the second-day bullet. We have to everybody respond within 60 days and give written reasons why they're not allowed. Otherwise, they're automatically allowed and we can start building. Front setback. Uh, we are now... Um, 
in most parts and all, the front setback's either 20 feet or bigger, sometimes 30 feet, depending on the size of the parcel. And you have to build a house behind that imaginary line, keep the front open to, to air and access to air and privacy. If there's no other place to build on the property, uh, and somebody wants to build a, an ADU, they can build it within that front setback. Thankfully, yeah. So thankfully, most of our areas is usually the house is usually built in the front. There's room in the backyards, but it's no. There could be a creek. You know, right. you can't build. So they could come in and say, "I want to build in the front," um, and that's in the, the rules. Um, we're also uh, at the bottom of the fourth page. We have an antiquated secondary unit ordinance that we're eliminating because it doesn't comply with state law, and if we have an ordinance in the books that does not comply with state law, then people can just pretty much go wherever they want. You know, so, slide number five. Um, we've been to the various uh, municipal advisory councils. Sonol's is tonight, January 24th. We're hoping to go to the Planning Commission February 20th, and to uh, the Board of Supervisors March 14th. Um, so that's that's the anticipated timeline. Um, um, the full um, list of language is on page six. Um, I've also in the actual staff report itself. I included on the first attachment is the state legislation that we're matching to, and the second attachment is the proposed ordinance. Yes. So these are simply changes to current law. ADUs are currently allowed and unincorporated, but these are the newest guidelines from the state, and we're just going to mimic what they're doing. Yes. So the state, since 2017, has been updating the state pretty much every year, updating rules on ADUs. And by, at the end of 2017, we're like, oh my gosh, you know, it takes us a year just on our own to, to go through the road show. So we're just going to sit back and, and, and defer the state. We're just, we're just deferring the state. We put out a policy, a handwritten policy, saying this is what the state now requires of us. This is what we're doing. Yeah. And the state, with us in every jurisdiction, saying just the policy is not enough. You have to have it in writing. Because the, the developer, the neighbors, everybody needs to know yeah. in black and white yeah. what's allowed and what's not. Totally. And so and it has to be adopted by the, by the, board, by the board of supervisors or else it's not, you're not complying with state law. Makes sense. Do you also have kind of in some counties that I've lived in, they kind of have a blueprint of say three to five plans? Yes. Hey, here's a 400 square foot ADU attached to a house. Here's a 700 square foot. If you do this, we're going to green light. We're going to speed it up. Yes. So we've we've partnered with a nonprofit that has actually come up with those. Well, next. Um, no, it is um, Hello, uh, Hello Housing. Okay. And there's a link on our website, and they basically have here's you know here's typically what Alameda County can approve. Four feet away from the sides and back, 16 feet tall. Um, the septic they don't have anything on septics, right? Because that's that's very specialized. It depends on the, 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 the percolation rates and it depends on the water well uh, sucking up rates and flow rates and all that. So none of that is is standardized. You still have to, you still have to hire a consultant to, to do your perk tests and all that. Um, and so, so those are the, basically the, the biggest rules for how it affects and all is that, um, you know, somebody could have their existing house and they could convert, uh, if they've got a basement, which many people do on the hillsides, 
um, if they've got um, a barn. Now, it can take a lot more effort to uh, refurbish or retrofit a barn than to just tear it down and rebuild it. But you know, that's a money issue. That's not necessarily a, a legislation issue. Do we know if any ADUs exist in Sonoma at the moment? Yes. There's a lot of ag, ag worker housing. Where was all that today on our lovely tour? The ag housing? Mm -hmm. they're, they're inhabited by sons and parents, and <laughs> just like you're talking about here. Oh, okay. They were permitted as ag housing. Yeah. Oh. So, so, and that's. You know, that's another layer. In Sonoma, that remains, right? So somebody could have, in an R1L district, on a five-acre property, not that many ten-acre properties, but on a five-acre property, they could have the main house, the JADU, the attached ADU, the detached ADU, and then there, and then somebody says, I actually have a vineyard on the hillside, and I need a worker housing. And they apply it in a separate permit. That is a discretionary process. For for we call it agricultural caretaker. Yeah. Yeah. And so they could have five units. But it's not necessarily per se a person like myself who would be open to being a resident in Sonol but can't afford to own a home here. Mm -hmm. Not like I can go on Craigslist or Furnish Finder and find some ADUs for rent in Sonol. <laughs> Doesn't sound like this well, is really know, as, as people build them. So that's that's we're we're getting. We're approving about two ADU permits a week in the county. In unincorporated. In unincorporated And they're all over the place. They're not just limited to the to the urbanized areas. There's plenty out in Livermore, there's plenty at outside sure. of Pleasanton and sure. Cascadale Canyonlands. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and people we're finding that people are looking to rent them. Yeah. Um, so so there, it's just a matter of time before you know you're still seeing the craziest. Does the does the county and or the state have any opinion about short term rentals versus long term rentals? So these are not allowed as short-term rentals. Okay. Okay. These are not allowed as short-term rentals. Which is considered under 90 days or 30 days? 30. Okay. Yes. Yeah, didn't, didn't, and I'm just saying as a homeowner, this is one of the things I'm concerned about. Didn't we just pass a law in California that you can build an ADU and then turn around and sell it? So you have, to, you have to opt in to that? You can. It's a great thing. So it might be a great thing to sell, but some people yeah. may not want a bunch of different property owners. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, I, so I can explain that. So you can build you can build an accessory dwelling unit. Um, right now, you can rent it out. Right. Um, right now, you don't have to live on the property unless you are uh, building a junior accessory dwelling. So somebody could, as an investment, have a main house and then an ADU and rent both. Okay. But if they have a JDU, they have the, to live on the property. The property owner has to live right. there. But that that the state is looking to do away with that, and of yeah. course everybody's saying no, no. But let's see what that ends. Now the the sale, the issue of the sale, is that local cities and counties can opt in an ordinance and write an ordinance that says that you can actually sell as a condominium, basically an airspace condominium. You can sell that ADU. And we are not choosing to opt in because, again, the vast majority of the people we're talking to are saying, just stick to the state, don't, don't do anything fancy. Should we go to the planning commission or the board of supervisors and they recommend, no, actually, we do want you to write that in, then we would follow that, that direction. When you say we, 
are not at the moment planning to opt in. So that means only unincorporated Correct. communities. Correct. Because the, the Max at, at Eden, Castro Valley, and Jerry, yeah. they're like, don't get, don't get fancy. Just follow what the state says. We don't want to opt in. And so, so when a county decides to opt in, the county is only representing unincorporated. Correct. And that City of Livermore would have to opt in. Correct. Pleasant. Okay. Correct. Correct. So, Rodrigo, I'm really happy to see the line that was added in there requiring environmental health approval. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think that's really important for right. the corporate area. We've had a number of, of problems in neighborhoods. Yes. Um, in Alameda County, now it's an old so, so we actually, yeah, this came from, from folks at, at the Haley Hills Property Owners Association. Um, we, um, as a matter of requiring building permits, we already say, well, you have to obviously already uh, get environmental health if you're on septic system. So that's already part of it, but they wanted to make sure it was in the ordinance to, to make the, the customer aware. Yeah. So that's fine. So it's in the ordinance. There have been times when projects have been brought here and we've been asked to review a variance, mm -hmm. and it was always for above ground capture, it was for height, mm -hmm. setbacks, things like that. And it feels very disingenuous for us to say, okay, we, you know, we agree with that variance, when we know, we know that that property owner will not get through normal health. They don't mm -hmm. have enough land for even a septic tank, let alone mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really am happy to see the planning department is Acknowledging that and warning, yes. and informing. And so, so um, we are working out with environmental health that, for precisely the reasons that environmental health gets um, blamed for stopping the process at the end, mm -hmm. when the rest of us have already approved, yeah. done our approvals. And we know we're just sending along, right. and, and they're our neighbors, and right. we're going to face them after that. So, so environmental health has asked, and we've agreed that whenever we get any projects that are on the septic system, we say, okay, well, here's the rules, and you can't apply to us as planning for discretionary permits until we have not the full approval from environmental health, but they call it a, uh, a, a preliminary review approval. Um, basically saying, okay, you've, you've come to environmental planning, you've provided us with general documentation that, that this system could work, we will continue to work with you, as we work with you in parallel, now go ahead and apply to the planning department, and then for the building. And so we will, in parallel, try and get to the to the goal. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. In fact, the chairs of the Max and some old citizen advisory council have sort of agreed to work together to try to avoid that situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so hopefully that, that speeds up the process, because uh, again we've got 60 days from the time of submittal. So uh, they would go through environmental health before they would actually submit. Right, right. So the clock doesn't start until. Could I ask a uh, philosophical question? Sure. Is the planning department in favor of these things or are they dragging their feet? So we are in favor of them because they help us. Um, we, say it's, we see it as a good way in a neighborhood to, um, to provide more housing without changing the character of the neighborhood. These things are usually tucked inside. House or, or in the backyards, so we're in favor of them. They also, so, so for that reason, we're in favor of them um, because they uh, they help us with our uh, regional housing allocation responsibilities that the state is making us provide accommodate for a certain number of housing. So this goes a long way toward that. 
um, we um, are always faced with the question of, okay, well, you know, the, the, the era of the single-family neighborhood is over, but how can we keep the feeling or keep the, the character of a community, of a neighborhood? Um, and that's part of the reason why we're, we're neutral to not really supportive of the for sale, the condominium for sale, because we would really like, ideally, the property owner to live on the property mm -hmm. as much as possible. But the other thing I have yeah, is just an observation, and that is that very few people of Kilcare could actually do this right. because of the septic requirement. Right. And I think just as an observation, it's why we need to get back to a community septic system mm -hmm. uh, because the septic situation <coughs> in Sonoma is, is dire. Yeah. And we've actually got, there's a lot of, um, sort of off topic, but I'll just try and mention it very briefly. There's a lot of paper subdivisions up here that were done in the 20s. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we get calls all the time, people are trying to sell these vacant lots that they are not buildable, and the buyer isn't really aware. Right. And uh, they're like, why can't I build here? You know, the, the, the cottage, the hunting cottage that was built in the 30s and 40s is there. Why can't I build next door when it's a separate parcel? Because on a building site, it's less, it's, you know, an acre or less, and there's no, uh, near the creek, and it's off the dirt road, and it's all uphill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Can you have two septic gates on your property if you have six acres? I don't know yet, so I'm unfortunately not, not uh, skilled. Uh, so uh, we're, we're talking about septic gates, so if the, this septic gate for the main house isn't going to work, but you have six acres, you're going to build this over there, you've got to put a septic tank over there. So, so, I, so technically, I don't, I don't really, so I'm not, I'm not the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I've seen where um, the uh, environmental health department mm -hmm. on a much bigger property, for example, an agricultural zone, and you've got your, um, your uh, agricultural caretakers unit that's yeah. way on the opposite side. Yeah. They definitely have separate septic systems completely, leach field and tanks yeah. and, and water wells. Because you know it's impractical to run such oh, a those lines up. right, right. But there's there's minimal distances between each, so that one doesn't affect the other. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Just, just. Yeah. Thank you. Sure, sure. Any other? So today I'm asking for a recommendation. Your vote whether or not you think we should take as written to the for adoption of the board suits. We are here. We're here. We're following the state, and we're not doing any fancy. We're not, and we're not getting fancy. Exactly. And, and we are including the line of the seventh day. That's what we would recommend. We would formally. I, I would appreciate it. Yep. Okay. Okay. So. A motion and a second. Motion to recommend uh, the the planning department report. How's that? Sure. <laughs> to agree to it. To agree to it. For uh, a roll call vote, uh, Councilmember Conant? Agreed. Councilmember Harrison? Agreed. Councilmember Kent Romo? Agreed. Councilmember DeGrange? Agreed. Okay. Great. Thank you all. Thank you. Good job. Thank you. Thank you all.
Observations, requests? Okay.